This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Congratulations, you found us, and I hope you'll stay a while. Albert the intern is here. Uh, Tim Spreen is uh, on the bridge working the dials and the doodads. And I am your humble chat show host, Richard Serrett. Uh, Once again, I'll invite you to participate in our HOA Hangout on Air. Uh, And it's very quick and simple to do that. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, and click on the link near the top of the Twitter feed. Again, that's at Richard Serrett. Click on the link uh, that says uh, YouTube or HOA or uh, something to that extent. Anyway, I think it's second from the, uh, the top. And voila, you are in. And of course, while you're there at Richard Serrett, make sure you say hi and uh, be sure to follow. Uh, Stay tuned at the bottom of the hour uh, for your chance to win a pair of tickets to my live stage show coming to Oshawa's Regent Theatre. That's Sunday, April the 26th. And for uh, more details and a list of our um, amazing roster of speakers, visit followthetruth.tv. Just want to give you a quick heads up what's uh, coming up next week on the program. Constitutional lawyer Rocco Galati will be here to discuss his Supreme Court battle and charges of conspiracy against the IMF, the Bank of Canada, and the federal finance minister, no less. Uh, now, we've we've had the Honorable uh, Paul Hellyer on the program, Paul Hellyer, former Deputy Prime Minister, uh, and also the former... A defense minister under the Lester B. Pearson government back in the mid-60s. And um, uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer has uh, talked on this program, as I say, many times before. He's also written about it extensively, about the Bank of Canada, the need to reform it, which essentially means take it back, dial it back to pre-1974. And at that point, the Bank of Canada, among uh, other things, was used as a, a lending instrument uh, for various level, levels of gov- governments here in Canada, municipal, provincial, federal governments. They could all go to the Bank of Canada and, um, and uh, borrow money at very, very low or near zero percent interest rates. And this, again, prior to the 70s, the mid-70s, was how Canada 
Canada funded major infrastructure. We funded the war effort during the Second World War by borrowing from the Bank of Canada. We, we funded the St. Lawrence Seaway, a massive infrastructure project through the Bank of Canada, without paying exorbitant fees to international bankers. All that changed in 1974. Why? It, it happened almost mysteriously uh, and with little explanation. And now, of course, here we are, 41 years later, and we have a federal debt of close to $600 billion. 95% of that is compound interest. So, uh, Rocco Galati is taking this fight to the Supreme Court, and surprise, surprise, you're not hearing about it on the mainstream media, but you will hear Mr. Galati on this program next week. And, of course, um, the the um, second half of the program, we have Ilana Freeland will be back with us. Ilana uh, researches and writes extensively about things like chemtrails, and uh, she'll, he- she'll be here to discuss just that, chemtrails and Morgellons disease, or Morgellons syndrome, which, uh, again, one of those things that's not being discussed about, it's the big elephant in the room. Many, many people suffering the symptoms, uh, which, which seems to point at Morgellons, and, and the connection, there may be a connection between Morgellons and chemtrails. That's Ilana Freeland uh, also coming up next week. At the uh, the bottom right-hand corner of richardserrett.com, the, the homepage, there's this red button, and it says vote. And uh, it's been up there for quite a while. It's kind of a, a, a semi-permanent fixture. It's a poll. And uh, I've posted it there to track your interest, listener interest, in various topics that we cover here on The Conspiracy Show. And there are a dozen fairly broad subject areas listed, everything from cryptozoology, assassinations, mind control, false flags, end times prophecy, secret societies. And the votes, you please go on there, vote, and those votes are tabulated, and subjects are then listed in order of the most favorite to the least favorite. And almost immediately, since the poll's inception, about six months ago or maybe even longer, far and away, the subject that listeners to this program voted as their favorite is the UFO ET subject. And if you're intrigued by this complex, multifaceted arena, you've probably spent a lot of time online looking for evidence, sifting through countless images and videos purporting to be incontrovertible evidence of the existence of UFOs. And no doubt then, if you've done that, you're familiar with the images and films of one Billy Meyer, an unassuming farmer from Switzerland, now approaching 80, I believe. Uh, But there's more to to Billy Meyer, much more to Billy Meyer, than some pretty convincing photos and 8mm films of UFOs and beam ships and landing crafts. In fact, since 1942, think of that, almost three-quarters of a century ago, since 1942, Billy Meyer has, he and his followers believe, had thousands of personal and telepathic communications with various ET civilizations. Let me give you an example. Since 1975 alone, over a 1,000 personal and 1,081 telepathic contacts with a group of, of, of extraterrestrials known as the Plagiarin and members of their federation. The contacts are still ongoing. 486 contacts are documented and available as contact reports. And Meyer has also written extensively 
about these communications, specifically the information and prophecies that he's received from these ETs. In 1958, for example, Billy Meyer predicted the existence, 1958, Billy Meyer predict, predicted the existence of pocket telephones and plastic money. That's just for starters. And over the next 44 minutes or so, you're going to hear more about Billy Meyer, his communications with ETs, and his predictions. Michael Horn is the authorized American media representative for the Billy Meyer Contacts, which he has researched since 1979. Michael is the writer, producer, director of the award-winning new film, And Did They Listen? Humanity at a Crossroads, Survival or Extinction. As well, he's the co-producer of the new documentary, As the Time Fulfills, which presents an abundance of ironclad, prophetically accurate scientific evidence that irrefutably authenticates the Billy Meyer case. He's the writer and co-producer of the award-winning feature-length documentary, The Silent Revolution of Truth, as well as the writer, producer, and narrator of the DVD, The Meyer Contacts, The Key to Our Future Survival. Michael Horn, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Fine, Richard. Thank you. Can you hear me okay I can, my little cell phone? I can hear you fine, and I can see you, and thanks for joining us also on our, on our Hangout. If you don't mind me asking, if you can divulge, where are you tonight? Where did we find you? Um, I'm in northern Arizona, Flagstaff, Arizona, to be specific, up kind of in the mountains, and uh, in my little uh, apartment here. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, uh, Michael. Now, uh, just give us an update on on the current status of, of Billy Meyer. It, it, was I correct in, in saying that he's approaching 80? Yes, he just turned 78 in February. So, you know, moving on towards 80, of course, you're right. And he is a continue. He continues to meet with the play iron people uh, in person and uh, continues to receive and share information pertaining to world events and situations that are going on now that he has actually long foretold, as you mentioned. Uh, when you mentioned 1958, Meyer also specifically foretold the coming worldwide uh, Islamic fundamentalist terrorism and, uh, you know, about 158 other things in addition to what you and I just have mentioned. He did foretell that the U.S., would have two wars with Iraq, and that the second war would be led by a president who'd be the son of a former president. It's getting pretty specific right there. He also mentioned that there would be, I think, six um, moon landing attempts by the U.S., but that the one that we know as Apollo 11, the first attempt, would be a hoax. He published that 11 years before that uh, event occurred or didn't occur, as the case may be. Fascinating. The the um, the um, Islamic uh, situation that we had, the radical uh, Islam and and, uh, and ISIS. Uh, does he document that? The current uh, situation in the Middle East and and the Islamic State or ISIS as it's known. Has he has he talked about that previously? Yes. He, um, oh gosh. In November of last year. Uh, and this was a very kind of radical departure from the kind of material that we usually get from him and the Playaren, because four of this is, is really about how to bring about peace. Uh, Michael, let me just stop you there, because I, I'm not sure if you can hear me, but you're you're fading out there. Um, oh. 
Okay, I'm okay. sorry. Um, I'll just get you to back up and start that. Right. Is this better? That's better, yes. Okay, so uh, last November, Meyer published, and, and I, I published the information, uh, which was kind of radical, stating that unless there is a worldwide concerted military effort with no less than 300,000 soldiers, we will find that the IS basically can set the world back to about the Dark Ages. And uh, he published information that the royal family of Qatar was uh, partially behind, you know, in terms of funding. Sure. That art, an article just came up, I think, today or yesterday about that. Uh, it's it's a it's a pretty serious thing. In eighty one and eighty seven, he also specifically foretold that France is going to fall to Islam from within, and then will be invaded from without, uh, and that'll probably be the Russians and or Russian and Chinese. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's unfolding that is contained in those eighty one and eighty seven prophecies, including uh, information that affects the U.S. and Canada. Is this um, information that's primarily been given to him telepathically by the Pleiarans? The information has come about in a couple ways. One of the ways is that Meyer himself is a prophet, and he is able to get this information, uh, prophetic information. Most of the information that he will publish tends to be uh, world event-related the scientific information that he has published that I term as prophetically accurate, that is largely given to him by the player, and, and that's in face-to-face -face conversations, oftentimes on board the craft with them. Uh, in 19, I think, 87 or 88, for instance, he was observing a planetary alignment that the player and were showing him, and they said, well, come over here and touch this screen. You can move these things around. And he describes a 3D holographic touchscreen technology back in the late 80s. Uh, that's before we knew anything about that type of stuff. So the scientific information comes generally from them, some world events as well, uh, and sometimes with things such as what's going on now with the IS and with Ukraine, Russia, that is coming from both him and the Playaron. All right, Michael, we'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll continue to delve into the predictions and prophecies of UFO ET contactee Billy Meyer, Michael Horn, the authorized American media representative for Billy Meyer, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Welcome back. Michael Horn is with us. His uh, new documentary is... And did they listen? Humanity at the crossroads, extinction or survival? Um, Michael, before we get back to the uh, the uh, many predictions, prophecies of, of Michael Horn, or uh, I'm sorry, of Billy Meyer, you you have been described as the enfant terrible of the UFO community. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you, um, the reason for it, in my opinion, is this. I am quite firm in stating that in my 36 years of research, I have not seen any solid evidence of another actual extraterrestrial contact case, and that the people who parade around claiming to be contactees and experts on UFOs don't have, uh, I don't know how else to put this, but it isn't credible to me for several reasons. Since there's no other real ongoing contact case, in my opinion, 
how can you be an expert on something other than anecdotal reports of Roswell or Rendlesham or whatever it may be. And just because we see things flying in the sky doesn't make it extraterrestrial. To the best of my knowledge, not one of the people who is on the circuit lecturing about UFOs either has been within 20 feet of a real extraterrestrial craft, let alone a terrestrial one. I have. And not one of them has received direct information from actual verifiable extraterrestrials. I have. So when I am a bit outspoken about that, not because I'm trying to cheerlead, oh, this is my case and all that, but because this is a gift to humanity that we need to cut through what I consider distraction and disinformation because it's about our future survival, then I am kind of blipped off the screen because they don't want to have me interrupt the UFO industry, which is what it is. It's a business and, uh, you know, a community and a business. So that's my opinion, and I, I base it on my experiences in all of the aforementioned. If there was another actual, verifiable, real extraterrestrial UFO case, I'd be fascinated. I'd want to know, too. But, well... I'll stop with that right now, and you know, okay. go ahead and challenge me. Or no, whatever. no. I, I, well, I, you, you mentioned uh, that you personally have received confirmation. Was this in the company of Billy Meyer? Explained how that that uh, that happened. Well, there's two two things. Um, remembering the date would be October third, twenty eleven. I had at ten p.m. finished doing a radio interview. I was living in the mountains of Brazil at that time, and I had this funny impulse to go and opened little French doors that led out, and I was living up, you know, in this kind of very nice remote area. So I went, and I looked up, and I thought I saw a star, and it started to move, and I was kind of startled. First, is that a firefly? Oh, no, this is something consciously controlled. And for 15 to 20 seconds, this object drifted down, and it turned to my left, and then drifted off to the side and disappeared. So I was in Switzerland about a week later. I went to Switzerland to see Billy, and I asked him about it. He said, oh, yes, it's a telemeter disc, and it's probably just saying hello. You know, they monitor occasionally because they monitor in Switzerland all the time. They're flying over the center all the time. People see them there. It was two years earlier that when I was involved in a potential project with a man named Cal Korf, who's actually a big enemy of the case, who wanted to do a so-called pro and con double DVD set, I said, sure, I'll be, you know, I'll be able to do that um, for my part. I'd written to Switzerland about it, and they said, well, do whatever you want to do. And then a couple days later, I got an email saying, you better hold on for just a second, because we learned something about this. You'll have a transcript tomorrow. So this is in November, I don't remember the exact date, of 2009, and I got a transcript, came through email, so it's date and time stamped and verifiable on servers and all that. And uh, one of the Play Iron women had come to talk to Meyer, and the conversation was about this project that I was going to be walking into. And, and they basically said, please pass on this information to Michael. He is about to step into a huge trap. It's going to be very bad for him, for you, for all of this work that we've been doing for so long, because this man, Cal Korf, is set it up that way to really try to use it to discredit everything, blah, blah. So when I got the information, I then got in touch with Corf and I said, listen, you go do whatever you want to do. This isn't going to be for me. Back and forth for a day or two, then I withdrew fully 
and the next day there were 300 attacks against us on his website, including death threats. So he had been waiting and loading up, and he was going to put all this into DVDs that I didn't know about. So this is the least important part. That's, this is anecdotal. This is my personal experience, but it isn't what I would base the credibility of, of the case on, because people could, you know, oh, well, this and that. In this past year, we had three new independently done photo analyses. We didn't have it done. It was, it was, they were done by a professor, South America, and a guy in Japan who's a professional photographer. Meyer's photos, his most controversial photos and films, were authenticated. And it's, it's powerful because he also lists all the protocols and tools he used. Anybody can take it on. There's even one thing anybody can do at home with Photoshop. Drop a photo in, drop the contrast or, and heighten the brightness, and here's a craft that people are saying it's just a model against the black curtain. No, it's a craft hovering over a gravel road with grass on the side and the whole deal. So in terms of the physical evidence, now it's, it's no longer even remotely debatable. The guy who made the best models, and he did he made wonderful models, this guy Phil Langdon in England, he had challenged me to a debate, but since I said, sure, I'll debate you, and we've got all this, you can see it on screen, I just looked up, that's the wedding cake craft. There's the wedding cake, yes. Yeah, and that was just authenticated. The details on that... We have, I don't know if you have the photos with the details, but the details are amazing. Phil couldn't duplicate them. He, he backed out of the debate. He chickened out, pardon me. After all of this haranguing and calling this a hoax, he just disappeared. And no, none of the skeptics have now come forward to try and take on the analyses and debunk it because they have to debunk themselves. Anybody that runs the, the protocols gets the same results. So basically... The physical evidence, which is actually the least important. Oh, the, the thing you're looking on on screen now? Yes. That's one of the most remarkable photographs ever taken. I was, I was standing right there when that was taken because this was for the silent revolution of truth. That's Billy Meyer sitting on the ground in India. There's a spire from a, the ashram behind him. Right. And that is a cross generated holographically by Asket in 1964. That was taken in a 1940s Kodak Bellows camera. There's no special effects possible. My dad had one of those cameras. What you're looking at was generated in the sky, floating above his head. There's very specific reasons, in my opinion, why that symbol, why near Meyer, why in India, and all of that. But that is not any kind of special effect that isn't painted on the, the photograph. My nose was up against that plastic looking at it. And Jack, my uh, director guy, was filming that whole thing there. So we've got the physical evidence now to a point where it's okay. Anybody who wants to argue the physical evidence is going to have to really take on three new independent analyses. This was a, uh, one of the original photos from 75, 76. The branch is actually in front of the, the craft. It's no model. We've got a film showing this tree in full bloom. It's over 40 feet tall. Uh, the physical stuff... At this point, for anybody who really is interested, this is the best UFO, extraterrestrial UFO evidence ever, and it still remains that. It's the best. It's real, and you can you know, deal with it, folks, if you want, but it's the least important part. Then you go to the higher standard of proof of the prophecies, and then we get to the meat of the matter, which is what's called the spiritual teaching. And that is a non-religious, belief-free teaching that we can hopefully start to accelerate our familiarity with so we can get ourselves out of what otherwise now is a dead-end spiral going down the drain fast. And the stuff that has happened recently with Russia, 
Meyer foretold that in, in 76, 81, 87, and in 87 he foretold Canada's involvement in what's coming and what's coming to the U.S. This is what this whole thing is about, is our future survival on, you know, on every level. So that's what I'm passionate about. Right, right. Well, why, you know, here's the million-dollar question, and you've had it probably a million times, but I'll ask it again, and that is why Billy Meyer, and then, by extension, why you? Okay, well... Here, I love to introduce it this way, according to the information in the case. Richard, there's stuff I can't prove. We can prove the photos are real and all that stuff and the prophecies. You know, they're, they're speaking for themselves. It is said in this case that Meyer, his spirit or spirit form, a term that they use, is extremely ancient. Among many lifetimes that he has had on this, or his spirit has incarnated that on the planet, there have been six previous lifetimes as very specific prophets, most of whose names we know. This is the seventh time, the final incarnation for a prophet in this lineage to come to Earth to bring again the same original spiritual teaching they've been bringing for thousands of years that previously was always corrupted into religions, and because of the religions, we're at each other's throats, you know, doing horrible, destructive stuff. So Meyer's spirit reincarnates this time. The previous prophets were known as Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Emmanuel, and that name isn't familiar to everybody. That was the real name of the man whose name they claim was falsely changed to Jesus Christ, man who never lived. And then Muhammad, who they said was a true prophet, whose efforts to bring forward the spiritual teaching, as was the case with the previous five to, to him, were also corrupted and changed. And now, during the electronic age, when the teaching can be preserved, disseminated without corruption, when people can read and write and don't have to rely on oral tradition or hierarchies of priests and mullahs and gurus and rabbis to tell them what it is, people can start to study for themselves and go, oh my gosh, you mean this is what it was supposed to be all the time? So Meyer, that's his mission. He's had 22 attempts on his life in this lifetime for his trouble. It's been pretty rough, but he's had you know, a remarkable life. As for me, why, well, I walked into a bookstore in 1979, saw the first photo book, it resonated, and I started to research any and everything I could from that time on. In 2000, I went to Switzerland for the first time. In 2004, I think I asked them if I can officially represent them. There are many people that feel a connection to this particular mission uh, that is a rather ancient thing, and there's nothing special about anybody, including Billy, who's connected. It's like this is a piece of work to try to help ourselves, each other, and humanity to not destroy ourselves. If there are extraterrestrials really in the sky and craft, there's got to be a reason. It isn't to create careers for speakers. It isn't for us to chase lights in the sky. It's for us to learn the trouble we're in that most people don't really fully understand and how to get out of it, and it's complete self-responsibility no one's coming to save us. We are uh, heading into, well, that's interesting. No one is coming to save us because oftentimes you will, uh, you know, you go to these UFO conferences and, and that is the message that you will hear, that that, uh, that is uh, what the, the whole ET 
um, mission is about. They are here to save us from ourselves. If only, you know, we will uh, welcome them or if we will only show a willingness to join the, the sort of the cosmic community and, and put down our arms and so forth. That they are, you know, riding... Um, riding to us like you know knights on a on a on a white steed but you're saying that no one is coming for us that this is all up to us we're going to head into a break and when we come back i want to talk to you about you know who exactly the the playarans are and um if they're not coming to save us you know then what do they intend to do how do they intend to help us if if at all um, michael horn is with us he is the uh, official um, uh, spokesperson, media spokesperson for Billy Meyer here in America, North America, and uh, we're delighted to have him on the program. And his uh, new documentary is entitled And Did They Listen? Humanity at the Crossroads, Extinction or Survival. We'll also find out why this film is banned at a major American university, the first film banned at a major American university in 20 years. We can also Open up the phone lines to questions and comments. You'll hear those numbers rolling very shortly. And as, as I mentioned, uh, stay tuned at the bottom of the hour. Your chance to win a pair of tickets to Follow the Truth, my live stage event happening at the uh, Regent Theatre in Oshawa. That's up and coming as well. Uh, very quickly, we've just got a, a few seconds here. Why don't we address that question? Why was your film... Oh, there is the music now. Sorry. We'll, we'll address that first order of business on the other side, Michael. Why was this film banned at a major American university the first time any film has been banned at that university in 20 years? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. All right. Welcome back. Uh, before we get back to our conversation with Michael Horn and a fascinating one it is, uh, we have, of course, our uh, upcoming conference, Follow the Truth, at the Region Theatre Sunday, April the 26th. It's an evening event. And one of our speakers, uh, featured speakers, will be Canada's Edgar Casey, remote viewer, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell. Now, here is your trivia question, and we will take the seventh correct caller at 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. With regards to the great sleeping prophet, Edgar Casey, who has, there is a foundation that is headquartered in Virginia Beach. The initials of that foundation R-A-R-E. A-R-E. What do the initials A-R-E stand for in regards to Edgar Casey? Again, we will take the seventh correct caller at 416-360-0740 and 1-866-744-740. Your chance to win a pair of tickets to Follow the Truth you can, you can get all the details at followthetruth.tv. All right, uh, back to Michael Horn. Michael, we were mentioning before the break, uh, and did they listen? Humanity at the Crossroads, Extinction or Survival. This was, this was banned, this film, at a major American university the first time in 20 years. Uh, tell me more about that. Yes, uh, last year I submitted the film to ASU, that is Arizona State University, for the purpose of having a showing, you know, just like show the film. 
And uh, I had a brief conversation with the woman in the religion and philosophy department, I think it was, seemed very nice. She said, okay, I, you know, when I get it, I'll let you know and all that. And then I got this email back, this film will not be shown at the university. Not one specific uh, complaint, uh, no points raised, not nothing inaccurate. And since that time, I've also tried another branch at that university called the Center for Science and the Imagination Center for Science and the Imagination, they uh, told me, uh, we, this isn't, uh, won't fit in any of our programs. We don't have time on the calendar. I actually went online to look at their calendar. They had one event for the month of March. I said to them, hey, don't you think you could possibly squeeze me in somewhere? I've got Matthew Wiskowitz, a former aerospace engineer for NASA, worked on the space shuttle, the space station, worked for Rockwell and Boeing, et cetera, tops secret security clearance, he stepped forward to say the case is authentic and he'll get on stage with me. A, a man named Kenneth Smith, launch director uh, at Orbital, which you know sends rockets up. He said the same thing. I'll get on stage with you. This is real. I've spent four hours on the phone with a man in the Defense Department, the U.S. Defense Department in the Pentagon, who said, please do not mention my name. I, I have a family and all that, but send me your film. I'll... Sh I'll send it around here. I'll send it up the chain of command a little. This is real. I know the Meyer case is real, but we can't talk about it. So the reason the film gets banned, it's like it's real. Now, if you want to run to Washington and have dog and pony show circus things where Congress people are hired for $20,000 a piece to sit there and go, oh, aliens and all that, fine. But that's that's the stuff that never goes anywhere. The Meyer case is blacklisted. I just experienced it, as I said, at ASU. I've been trying to get it in here at NAU. Same thing, pushing it away. I met with the head of the astronomy department. I mean, Richard, I could go on and on about people are f afraid. I had a professor in the astronomy department sit with me for an hour looking at the new photo book. Her eyes were just like bugging out and she's asking questions i came back a week later and she's shaking like a leaf i really can't talk to you about this anymore and then the, the head of the department comes in and says well come and sit with me i'll talk to you for i mean they're all afraid they're what are they what are they afraid of, of michael what are they afraid of i think they're afraid of being politically incorrect i think they're afraid of funding and uh, tenure issues and, di you know, uh, diverging from the party line of what the curriculum is supposed to be. These, uh, one professor, I went to a skeptical presentation, uh, I think almost two, three weeks ago at NAU, and one of the professors came over to me and he said, you know, uh, all of this is, you know, this is money. The reason you can't get a, a hearing in these places is this is all about dollars and cents. It's a business. And he was great. He was, he was in the film department there and I, I, I've got some films that will come out showing a, a professional skeptic looking at the Meyer case with his eyes bugging out, smiling and nodding his head. There are things that are, you know, kind of peeking through here. And by the way, if I could throw this thought in, because this just happened a couple of days ago, I got confirmed to speak at something called the Alien Cosmic Expo up in um, Ontario there. Is right, that in my part? hometown of Brantford. Oh, cool. Well, I hope I get a chance to meet you in person. Well, maybe if they invite me. <laughs> oh, well, I'll put in a good word. That's a funny All right. turnaround. Yes. But this is the thing, Richard. This is reality is not most people want what Meyer calls is phantasmagoria, eye candy, 
entertainment, distraction. This is real heavy-duty stuff. These people are saying, you're, you're going down the wrong road. They've been trying to warn us through Meyer for over 60 years. Well, let's start this conversation now, and this is a short segment, and we'll continue on after the break. But, but tell me about the Playarans. Who are they, uh, and whereabouts, uh, if we look out into the night sky, where, where would we find them? Okay, well, to take first things first, the Playaran are said, to, again, according to information in the case, I've never met them, I didn't get a chance to ask them, they are a, a race that descends from an ancient Lyran, from the constellation Lyra, Lyra, the Vega system, uh, human extraterrestrial race, highly developed technologically about 8,000 years beyond us, spiritually... Mm, sorry, sorry to jump in, but 8,000, that's not a whole lot. It is. If you think about exponential development, what have we done in 25 true, years? True, If you think of Moore's right. Law and so forth, that is. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's like, whoosh. but they're saying, look, we, are, we move very quickly technologically, but in terms of consciousness and what we would call spirituality, we're way behind. So we're overdeveloped in, in toys and technology, and that brings us to a point of, of near self-destruction. And they are a human race who have gone through these epochs of levels of development and great wars. I mean, great wars their ancestors are said to have raged around the universe and enslaved and destroyed and what have you. And then they finally settled themselves down some 50,000 years ago to do the peace thing, and they haven't diverged from that. So they are a level one civilization. We're still stuck on zero. Uh, Let's uh, let's pursue that when we come back. Michael Horn, sure. uh, Billy Meyer's American media representative, talking about the Billy Meyer contacts, the uh, the communications, telepathic and otherwise, the prophecies and predictions of Billy Meyer himself. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. And congratulations to Steve Forndrun. Forndrun Steve Forndrun of Toronto, who has uh, won a pair of... Uh, tickets to Follow the Truth 2, my uh, second live stage event happening Sunday, April the 26th at the Regent Theatre in downtown Oshawa. Seven amazing speakers. Check out the complete roster at followthetruth.tv and uh, listen again next week for your chance to win at the bottom of the hour. Uh, And if you don't uh, get on in time or don't win, you can always order your tickets at the box office, 905 721 3399 905-721-3399. Michael Horn stays with us uh, for a few moments yet. We're talking about the Billy Meyer contacts, and uh, we were spe- speaking about the play errands. Uh, and so would uh, would we classify them as a, a level one civilization? They have, pow- they have harnessed the power of the sun, in other words. Well, you know, honestly, Richard, I'm not real familiar with those categories, but they're 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 pretty far past harnessing solar power. I mean, they are, uh, you know, according to this information, they they have very advanced drives for craft. They free, you know, electron energy. They also can transmit themselves from place to place without the use of craft. So technologically, we're told that they're very advanced, and uh, you know. While we're very fascinated by that, if we would focus on what they want us to learn for our own survival, we'll probably get past it. Now, one of the things that we could be doing right now far more for our energy needs is to use deep geothermal energy. 
Uh, Iceland has it. They're developing it now, some parts of Switzerland, California. But this could eliminate probably 80% or more of our reliance on petroleum and polluting technologies and thereby also eliminate a lot of the geopolitical uh, problems which are going to put the U.S. and Canada in harm's way. Uh, do they ever mention uh, helium-3, which is said to be found in abundance on the moon and uh, could uh, be used in nuclear reactors without producing nuclear waste? I am not aware that that was in there at all. They, uh, they of course, have said that the kind of nuclear f reactors we are using is beyond toxic and that it is, we, we should have shut those things down long ago. Uh, of course, they told Meyer within about five or six days of Fukushima exactly what happened, the real level of that uh, pollution and danger that's only now being confirmed and corroborated. Within days of BP disaster, they had given him, we even illustrated that one, he gave, they gave him all this information, which was again just recently corroborated again when an article came out about the so-called bathtub ring of oil and uh, pollutants that have settled on the ocean floor. They told him that within days that this was all coming. So, you know, it's like they have the ability to know these things and to tell us, you know, we are on the wrong path. And if we keep going this way, we run into this. And if we keep going that way, we run into that. So to go to the learning how to think and change our direction and our consciousness, that's what they're most passionate about for us. Otherwise, we have literally hundreds of years of great suffering here. But it, it, it sounds like, based on an earlier comment that you made that I want to pick up on now, that it's almost like the, the prime directive from Star Trek, they cannot intervene. Is that correct? Yes, that's true, because in the past, uh, certainly their forefathers were among those extraterrestrials who did intervene going back thousands of years and who gave us the gods in some cases, like around the time of the Hebrews and all of this, and this set us into just craziness. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of being abrupt here just for the sake of time. Right, right. They know that they are not to do that again and that they have to work through a prophet as they did subsequently in the previous six times and to just keep trying to get this to us so that we will pick up on it, do our own vetting of the information, determine the truth for ourselves. And then if we if we get the eye candy, okay, that's real it's not from here. We move on to the higher standard, the prophecies and predictions. By gosh, that's accurate. Somebody's trying to tell us something. We may as well look at what their advice is, since they have the foundation of credibility. And that's what brings us to the teaching. And that's the focus, the real core of this whole thing. So then in a, in a, in a nutshell, Michael, what what is it that they want us to do? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, dismantle nuclear weapons and, and, and so forth. But did, did they give us specific instructions on how we are going to get from where we are now? Uh, and according to some, that may be, you know, on the brink of World War III. Uh, how we get out from under this? Well, they've been putting that information out through Meyer for some time. So we're in a place now where it's We've taken a long time to get in this hole. It's going to take us time to get out, and this might sound very, you know, people you know, you mean that's really the end? We individually have to start taking responsibility for the way we think, what we do with our thoughts, what actions we take, what we follow and pursue, what we give our energy to, and come together as, as like-minded people, and this can be people that aren't studying the information even from the Meyer case, so it would help, but to start to get our consciousness in what we might call 
spiritual understanding straight because this is moment by moment. We don't have a quick fix here. This is why I am just, I really can't stand what goes on in this so-called UFO industry because it's got everybody chasing nonsense lights and phony alien abductions, pardon me, but that hasn't gotten us anywhere. We've gone deeper in the hole, and and we have now people, scientists who come forward, individuals are going, my gosh, how did Meyer in 87 pinpoint the exact city that the Russians were going to move their troops to, Arkhangelsk, from which they're going to attack Scandinavia? It's been in the news, those developments. And how and from which they're going to bisect, come through Alaska and Canada into the U.S. So I keep on hitting on that because this is of concern to your countrymen and to mine. These are the real nuts and bolts things that have been in this material for decades, and they've been trying to tell you people have got to learn how to think or you're going to have this third world war. Your countries are going to be dragged into this, and the reasons that have been fulfilling themselves. So... This is the kind of thing where if we get to the point of saying, okay, maybe so. It's like, I guess this is, is unfolding. We don't have to believe anything here. We can read it in the news. So what do we do? Well, we come together where we can focus on the spiritual teaching, where we can actually exchange on this and discuss it. We have a meeting here every month in Arizona. There's people in different parts of the world that are meeting on this so they can start to implement the corrective thinking. And, yes, it's a, it's a monumental task that will succeed. The only question is, does it happen sooner or later? Do we get enough people to make the difference now? Or do we just have a few centuries of misery? This is up to us. Nobody's coming down. So there's no ascension. We're not moving into the fourth and fifth dimension. This is why people don't like me and want to throw stones at Billy Meyer. We want to bring the truth forward, and the truth is harsh. It's not flowery. There's no little... You know, love bunnies coming down here to make everything nice for us. Are there any circumstances uh, under which that they would intervene? Yes. They won't allow the planet itself to be destroyed, not because we're so precious and valuable, but because that sends huge chunks going out into space, and there's a lot of other life deep in space. Not in our solar system, none here. But th- that is something they have to prevent from happening so that. You know, we don't become projectiles. The destruction that occurred previously in our solar system to a planet called Melona that was inhabited by humans who got as crazy as we and blew the place up, now we have the asteroid belt. It didn't go beyond that, but that's what was another inhabited planet. There's information about the people that lived on Mars and what happened there. There's information, 26,000 pages of information. We want this to go out. I'll go anywhere and present it and interact with people. And that's why I'm grateful, you know, for the folks said, okay, come on up to, you know, Ontario and, and, and blab it with us for a while. And I'm doing something next weekend in Northern Cal. And by the way, if I can just say this, anybody that listens to you, if they get any of my films, I'll send them an extra DVD or CD free. All they have to do is mention your name or the show. So I want the information out there. And my site is full of tons of free stuff. We've got an international blog going where people are discussing this all over the place. Give, give us the website, Michael. Give us the website where people can order the Thank DVD. You. Yeah, sure. It's, it, it's theyfly.com, and it connects to my blog, theyflyblog.com. And, you know, it's, it's there. It's all free stuff. Yes, if you want to get a DVD, great. I'll send you a free one with it. And if you just want to read all the free stuff and go to the websites that are linked, 
please be my guest. If you send me an email, I will answer you, but it'll take me a little while because I'm just one person doing this. So I'm very grateful that you had this, you know, had me on again. I think it was some years ago that we spoke. Indeed. And, yes, it was. Know, oh. So there, yeah, that's my website and there's Billy and we've got, you know, all sorts of stuff just jammed <laughs> onto this website, tons of info. And, and this is, you know, I want people to determine for themselves, but I say, look, if you get that this is real, then you've got no time to waste. Forget about aliens and abductions and all this stuff. That's all secret military when it really happens. Uh, is that is that the case? That if I could just take a, a, a quick moment sure. to talk about about the uh, about the abduction phenomenon, because I've interviewed you yes. know doc, uh, Dr. David Jacobs about this, and and uh, um, I, I'm, I'm guessing that you have a very different opinion, obviously. But <laughs> but so. What is behind the alien abduction phenomena? Because obviously people are experiencing something. Yes, there's a few things. The real cover-up and the whole alien disinformation thing that led to this started at the First World War when the uh, various antagonists were seeing these unknown craft in the sky. They thought they belonged to each other. It wasn't the case. Our President Wilson and other leaders decided a conspiracy of silence. You fast forward to kind of the Roosevelt era in America. They knew that there were extraterrestrials out there. They knew there was no danger, but it would be a threat to the control. So he had Orson Welles do a reading of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, and they did that under threat of death to them and their families. People panicked. They created the evil alien agenda. That whole thing with Grays was based on the Roswell crash, which I heard about in high school. Those were androids. They were not extraterrestrial you know, real people, they were androids, and yes, that was a real crash, uh, you know, crash of one of about eight or nine, and what the Polarinovs told us is this, the abductions, while there has been in our history perhaps a handful of what they call contact examinations and one or two hostile things that happened to people, all the rest of this falls under the disinformation and the secret military operations, and it includes cattle and human mutilations. They happen in Canada. They happen in the U.S. and other places. This is to keep people fearful about this. There's at least four to five countries at secret military levels that have alternative craft. Your country, mine, Great Britain, Russia, and I think France and China might have it as well. This technology was captured from the Nazis at the end of the Second World War. Uh, There are some parties who are in Brazil that had some and may still have some the secret military, they've even altered people to look like the so-called greys. And then you have mass hysteria, sleep paralysis, labile minds, people picking up from the mass consciousness all of the stuff about alien abductions. So the people that really get abducted in any level are not abducted by extraterrestrials. They don't need us. They don't need our DNA. They don't certainly need our corrupted emotions. And this is, you know, I've taken on people about this. They don't want to hear this. They want to... I was abducted by an Why? You can't even get your mayor to talk to you, little, you know, or your governor. <laughs> but, you're, you know, you're so valuable that some alien has to float you or Aunt Edna through the wall. Michael, and take, I, yeah. i got to jump in there. I'm sorry. We are out of time. But listen, we will do this again. I'll have you on again um, maybe in the next month or two, if you can. Yes. Terrific. Yes. Theyfly.com, the website. Yes. Terrific. Thank you. Michael, I appreciate your time. Great having you on. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Michael Horn. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Theyfly.com. My website, richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Follow the truth always. 
Thank you for inviting me into your home and welcome to all of you listening in on our flagship station here in Toronto, Canada, AM 740 Zuma Radio. And all of you listening via the podcast, it's everywhere. Uh, iTunes, TalkZone.com, and of course all of you listening in on one of our growing list of affiliates. Welcome, one and all. Uh, I should also let you know that the uh, Conspiracy Show app, yes, we are working on a Conspiracy Show app, and it's in the development stage, and it's coming along nicely. Uh, And we are hoping to launch that, um, I I believe, by the spring of this year. If you haven't already done so, uh, please get on up to uh, richardserrett.com. And become a member. It's fast, it's easy, and it's free. You get access to exclusive member-only content, including the past show audio archive. And you'll also receive my newsletter, The Dead Drop. And I'll, uh, I'll forewarn you, it's not sort of re- published on a regular date. It's just whenever the spirit moves me <laughs> and whenever the twins uh, leave me alone long enough to, to churn one out. I thank you and I appreciate your patience. I'm getting some great feedback on that though as well. Uh, and I've also started uh, sending out uh, episodes of my weekly radio feature called Strange Planet uh, to uh, members as well. Again, so you go to richardserrett.com, and uh, on the left-hand side, there's a blue button. It just says Members Area or something like that. Uh, I'm not actually able to log on to uh, richardserrett.com from uh, the video here for some reason tonight. However, it's there. Member, the, uh, the Member button is on the left-hand side. Just click on that and uh, answer a few questions, and you are a member. Don't forget about my live stage event, again, Oshawa, Sunday, April the 26th. Uh, We have quite a roster. Let me just run through those very quickly. The JFK assassination and the Zapruder film, remote viewing, spirit communication, UFOs, angels, and gods, electronic harassment, the lost tribes of Israel, and we'll also have an exact replica of the Shroud of Turin and a discussion about that and more, much more. For more details, visit followthetruth.tv. Or call the box office, 905-721-3399, 905-721-3399, followthetruth.tv. All right, well, the reason we're doing that conference, and of course, uh, why we do this radio program and the television program, they're all really dedicated to pushing the boundaries and searching for answers. We always like to say, you know, always, you know, trust people that say they're looking for the truth, But be very wary, very wary indeed of people who claim they have found the truth. And uh, we we give careful consideration on on this program to many things that the mainstream media ignore or or dismiss. Now here's a great quote from a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, the man who really founded analytical psychology, Carl Jung. I'm sure that name sounds familiar. Here's what he said. I shall not commit the fashionable stupidity of regarding everything I cannot explain as a fraud. I like that. That really sums up our mission here, too. Let me say it again. I shall not commit the fashionable stupidity of regarding everything I cannot explain as a fraud. Well, amen to that. That quote, incidentally, can be found at the top of the website belonging to the Society for Psychical Research, which was founded way back in 1882, the SPR, 
was the first society to conduct organized scholarly research into human experiences that challenge contemporary scientific models. Dr. Richard Broughton is the president of the Society of Psychical Research, and he joins us from the UK, where it is very early in the morning. Dr. Broughton, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Uh, good morning, Richard. Yes, uh, I am fine, and it is quite early in the morning here, but uh, it sounds like I've, I've uh, joined exactly the right program from that introduction. Thank you very much. There's another great quote on your website from Isaac Asimov, and it says, The most exciting phrase to hear in science, the one that heralds new discoveries, is not Eureka, but that's funny. <laughs> Just expound on that a little bit, because I like that. It's very, it's a, it's a very ap- appropriate uh, quote. What did Asimov mean by that? Well, um, Asimov had quite a, a fascination. He's, he's often um, sort of uh, t- uh, trotted out by skeptics and critics as, as somebody who uh, didn't believe in this stuff. But uh, extraordinary powers of the human mind and everything figured... Uh, largely in, in quite a number of his well-known stories. But I think he's really tapping into that uh, fundamental notion, the excitement of science, which is, you know, something that calls out for an explanation. You know, that's funny. Uh, you know, right. How did that happen? Or what's behind that? And I think, you know, that that was the motivation behind the... Uh, Scientists, quite eminent scientists and scholars, back uh, you know 130, 33 years ago, who formed the um, Society for Psychical Research, they were confronting the strange phenomena of uh, spiritualism, which was something of a religion back then, and there seemed to be these powers of the human mind, thought transference, they called it, uh, also action at a distance, what we might call psychokinesis, and, you know, they'd stand back and say, that's funny, (laughs) I wonder what's behind that. So that's uh, very much the sort of spirit of inquiry, and uh, I think the challenge that um, these phenomena continue to present um, so many years later. Could you uh, explain what a parapsychologist does? Uh, Struggles. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's uh, certainly a parapsychologist is a uh, more recent term. Um, They, 130 years ago, they called themselves psychical researchers, but uh, parapsychologists um, really, they're they're generally trained in more conventional areas of science. I mean, myself, I'm a psychologist, research psychologist. Um, Many of us are have backgrounds in physicists. I'm sure, you know, many have appeared on your program, so you've seen this variety. But um, we see our challenge as trying to understand these mental phenomena. So, um, you know, I mean, I spent most of my career in a laboratory. Um, Others do field research. Um, We struggle very hard to get funding for this sort of research, Um, but I think our common bond is that um, we're still puzzling over these phenomena. Uh, You know, there's quite a spectrum of 
opinions, and certainly I have to be careful, the SPR as an organization does not hold corporate opinions, but the, the, our members, of course, will range the, across the spectrum of uh, how they uh, regard the evidence for the various phenomena. I, uh, I had the, the, the pleasure of, of spending an afternoon in the home of Russell Targ. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, several years ago, uh, taping an interview for my my television program, and and uh, uh, Russell uh, very obviously involved in in uh, the same sort of work at the Stanford Research Institute, and um, you know in developing the the remote viewing program and so forth. Uh, and Russell Targ said to me, he said there is more evidence uh, for psychic abilities and ESP then there is evidence that uh, bare aspirin cures headaches. What do you make of that, uh, that statement? Uh, well, it's, um, yes, I mean, I, I know Russ. He's uh, one of our, I mean, we're a relatively small band of intrepid explorers, really. And, um, I mean, Russ has, been, has spent most of his life doing that. Um, that actually is um, related to a particular type of uh, statistical analysis that has emerged over the last decades where uh, scientists in different fields, including medicine, obviously, with aspirin, will use a technique called meta-analysis to aggregate the results of many different experiments, but similar experiments, where you can compare the results. and. This was applied very early to parapsychology, um, as it was uh, to various medica- medical issues. And the f- I mean, one of the funny thing is, funny things is that when they look at the results of aspirin, small doses of aspirin to prevent second heart attacks, the effect, what's called the effect size, how strong the evidence is, is very small. But on the basis of that, of course doctors around the world began prescribing um, aspirin to prevent second heart attacks. If you look at a comparable um, line of research in parapsychology, and one that was used is a, a technique called the Gonsfeld. Again, I'm, I'm sure you've heard that on your program before. Right. It turns out that our effect sizes for our phenomena were far stronger than that for aspirin, yet it's very difficult to get um, any kind of scientific consensus to say, ah, there's something happening there. Certainly not in the mainstream. Well, I, I asked you earlier about you know, what a parapsychologist does, and you say, well, they struggle, uh, which leads me to this question, and um, I, I don't mean it to be flippant, uh, but do you have uh, uh, colleagues who um, maybe look down their nose at you and say, you know, why don't you, you know, use your, your skills and your ability to, to study something more important, more relevant? Do you get that a lot? Um, not quite in the, I mean, not quite so politely sometimes. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I didn't think I was being that um, polite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, there are a lot of people, I wouldn't necessarily call them colleagues, because I think almost anybody working in parapsychology, uh, certainly my career in university, maybe I've just been lucky, um, we actually earn a fair amount of respect. 
I mean, people might think we're barking up the wrong tree, but when you work with other scientists and other colleagues, um, they, you know, they realize that, you know, you're just another one of them, uh, you know, trying to tackle some particularly knotty problems. Uh, so, you know, perhaps just fortunate, but I've had people who think, you know, they might say, you're wasting your time, there's nothing there. Um, but I haven't quite had that dismissal. Now, I would entirely, I, I mean, I know a lot of other people who have had to suffer a lot of indignities. Some have actually kind of been drummed out of academic jobs, lost, uh, didn't receive tenure and things like that. Um, for that and uh, you know it's very much couched in those terms you know look you're a clever clever lad or lass you know why don't you use your talents to do something useful but you know um, you know as you know shows like yours very much illustrate um, there are a lot of questions out there that deserve answers and you know somebody's got to tackle them absolutely and these are the questions that really matter why are we here? What happens after we die? Are we alone in the universe? Yeah, these are the ones that really matter, folks. And uh, thank God for people like Dr. Richard Broughton and the uh, Society for Psychical Research. Our conversation continues on the other side. Thanks for hanging out here on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, Dr. Richard Broughton joins us from the UK. He is the president of the Society of Psychical Research. Uh, let's talk about some some members' projects uh, that are going on uh, r right now. Um, uh, Richard, is there one that uh, you are uh, that you personally are uh, involved with? Well, you mean in terms of research? Yes. There's well, there's a, there's a couple. I'm actually retired from the university. I was at the University of Northampton that has a um, a small center of, uh, again, intrepid parapsychologists who are looking at a variety of uh, phenomena. Um, my own research, uh, which I'm still following, although obviously not actively in the lab, has to do with um, oh, the role of the brain in... Um, mediating some of the phenomena that we look at. I mean, my particular interest has been in extrasensory perception um, that, uh, you know, obviously has been covered um, in various forms on your show, things like remote viewing. Um, and my interest has been in how the emotional system might mediate this information. Uh, and uh, again, Probably, unlike a lot of my colleagues, um, I look at these phenomena as probably um, a product of evolution. You know, the way oh, really? Interesting. All, all the rest of our faculties have evolved. And, um, you know, I mean, it, I spent a lot of my career trying to, to argue that strange as these phenomena, and I, when I say these phenomena, I'm not trying to include all of the stuff that gets lumped into parapsychology or psychical research. I mean, I've sometimes described it as, uh, you know, quite a, uh, a bundle of, uh, of problems that uh, we have to solve. But I've been looking at the extrasensory perception aspect of that, and I've always been fascinated by the uh, you know, the evidence that 
um, the probably the larger bulk of these experiences don't have pictures in the head. You know, they don't. They're not involving distant images and things like that. They really involve our feelings, um, which we then interpret in different ways, often changing behavior uh, in some ways that, you know, is very useful, like avoiding something that could have killed us, etc. You know, it's, it's, we often talk about this as intuition, um, and intuition, I think, has a, a lot of dimensions to it, many of them explicable by quite normal psychology. Sure, heightened sensory awareness, but the five senses, a greater sense of smell. Uh, uh, and, you know, we often ascribe that to uh, women, women's intuition. And, and But mm-hmm. I think we, we know now that, that women have a greater sense of smell, perhaps even a more uh, acute sense of hearing. They can differentiate between a baby crying because it's wet or a baby crying because it's hungry. Um, but you're saying that beyond those five senses... Well, that's, that's exactly, yes, Richard, you're right, right on there, that if evolution has given us this marvelous information processing and information uh, taking in the senses, if there is some way for consciousness to kind of have a window on future events, would it not have developed that, you know, and in a way that would allow us to anticipate uh, the future? Maybe not all the time through pictures in the head, in a sense, or dreams, but feelings. So, uh, you know, that's the the path that I've been taking. And uh, and uh, I, I mean, I wish I could say I had more answers, but it uh, it certainly seems like um, a lot of this information is being mediated through our emotional systems and. You know, the big answer, the big questions remain, you know, how could one get information from the future? How could one get information from distant places without any kind of intervening medium? But I'm relatively convinced that, um, you know, our emotional system, our feelings uh, at a very deep level is is involved in in transducing this weird information into something we can use. This is maybe beyond your purview, but let me, let me just throw out a, uh, an idea here, uh, and we can jaw on this a little bit if you'd like, and that is yeah, perhaps the answer may lie uh, in, the, in the possibility that consciousness resides outside of time and space. It's, yeah, um, I know colleagues will argue along those lines. I don't know that it's, at this point, necessary to posit that. I mean, we're finding that consciousness, I mean, and this is not parapsychology, physics has found that consciousness seems to play a kind of an interesting role in, in quantum mechanics. And again, even within physics, that's hotly debated. But I, you know, I would come back to the idea that it may not need to be outside of the body. That, again, rooting it in evolution, and at this point, you know, one, certainly in the conventional sciences, one would say that consciousness is probably more or less limited to the body. Um, we, you know, what can, can we work with that as a basic principle? How does that... Um, 
help us answer things. And um, it, it, it could work that way. Uh, and what I'm saying is that, you know, I'm kind of waffling, <laughs> quite frankly. Well, we're all scrabbling around in the dark. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's hard not I to waffle when we're talking about these sorts of things. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessary to say that consciousness is, uh, you know, outside of time and space. Um, again, you know, what will the future tell us about these things? But, um, you know, I, I'm, again, my position has been to try to build on what we, you know, what there's a general consensus. I mean, the science generally progresses by trying to link the what we don't understand with as much of what we do understand as possible. And, you know, certainly, again, that's been my philosophy looking at the emotional system because really just in the last couple decades we've learned an enormous about amount about how the emotional system has been involved in our decision making um you know we've often thought of ourselves as rational beings um in fact we're not <laughs> our rationality comes in almost at a later stage you know we're 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 rational when we want to um, explain decisions that we've already made at an emotional level. Sure. I mean, just look at the the, the world around us. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to argue that this planet is being run by rational people. Uh, it, does, this, does this mean then uh, that one day we – if your – I don't know if I want to call it a theory, but the idea that there, there may be a more prosaic um, explanation for – perceived psychic ability, that it is, I mean, does that mean, let me just jump right in, does that mean one day we may find a gene for psychic ability? Um, well, uh, I mean, there's a couple things. One is, um, starting first of all, yes, it would be um, probably saying too much to call it a theory. It's more like a hunch. Um, and I, I don't know that I would kind of call it too prosaic. I mean, there's still... Um, I'm looking at one small component in a rather complex phenomenon. If we're getting information from the future, it's, you know, it's not so much taking the mystery out of it. It's just doing what science does is trying to understand it. True. We're no, that's a good point. I guess I'm, I'm, I guess I'm in, in relative terms where, you know, the idea that perhaps the consciousness exists, exists outside of time and space and, and your hunch – um, you're right. Prosaic is not the right is not the right word. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, continue. Uh, so back to the the gene question. Well, I mean, if my hunch is correct that it, it's um, something that evolution has uh, given us, then you're absolutely you know spot on. There should be some genetic component to it, um, and indeed there has been a tradition of, um, you know, so, well, like in, among the Scots and the Irish, the second sight or the sight has always been a kind of uh, reported to have familial um, tendencies that it's passed down usually but not exclusively through the female line. Um, there have been limited number of experiments where blood relatives did exceptionally well in conventional ESP studies. Um, so 
one would expect it. You know, if, if my hunch is correct, then, you know, yes, it should be something that uh, has a genetic component. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, I was curious to read on uh, your website that one of your members uh, was writing a blog and happened uh, was offering advice to uh, I guess journalists and media people that were interested in sort of you know writing about or covering certain paranormal so-called paranormal uh, activities like ghosts and this uh, the writer the member happened to mention that his girlfriend has a PhD in ghosts do you know uh, who I'm referring to PhD in ghosts um I I just I, I just found that fascinating that there that it was possible to actually earn a, a PhD in um, ghosts. I had not heard of that. Surprised as you are, I'll have to go check. <laughs> but uh, I mean, we, we I mentioned earlier about you know the idea of perhaps consciousness residing outside of of the body, and and uh, um, which sort of leads me into the next area, and that is sort of the whole investigation into near death experiences, where we have. Um, uh, let's say, for example, someone undergoing um, open heart surgery uh, and is declared, uh, you know, uh, dead for a period of time, perhaps on the table. And during that period, when there was no um, heartbeat and, and so forth, and uh, they they have memories of you know floating above the body and and overhearing what doctors were saying as they as they were working on the on on the patient and so forth um where are you at in terms of uh you know investigating that whole phenomenon which to me you know is probably one of the most popular things that we discuss on this show and that is mm. the possibility of life after death or uh the consciousness surviving physical death Mm-hmm. Boy, put your finger on a hot one. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, near-death experiences, uh, obviously, uh, since you, you've covered this, uh, your listeners would know, you know, as you're saying, that they, they are these memories that, of, of, of consciousness, really, when all the life signs, the vital signs, were indicating this person should be dead. Um, and it's something which is, you know, an area of study which has burgeoned as medical science has been able to revive people and bring people back from the brink of death. Uh, so there are more and more examples. And boy, uh, you know, I'd have to be honest, this is one of those areas that challenges me. Because <laughs> as you might glean from my, uh, you know, the way I've been portraying my own interests, that I do lean toward a more conservative uh, interpretation of these phenomena. I don't know that, you know, I'm not ready to embrace the idea of consciousness having a separate existence, but it's precisely the sort of near-death experience phenomena and evidence that challenges me, makes me a bit um, uncomfortable because like so many uh, things in in our field one can't dismiss the evidence out of hand and and there's better and better evidence being brought forward uh, all the time uh, some dutch researchers have summarized it there's uh, um quite a lot of uh 
you know, continuing research, uh, a group down at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville uh, have made this a, a major area of their study. So uh, there is evidence out there. Um, is the interpretation, you know, can we settle on an interpretation yet? I think that's the, the um, where the debate is. Um, one interpretation is that consciousness seems to have a separate existence from the body because if the body dies, um, we have evidence that consciousness is continuing. On the other hand, the others will say that, well, we don't really know that the brain has totally stopped working just because, you know, the, the EEG trace has flatlined and, um, you know, so uh, I, I, I can say there is work going on here, but I don't know really. I, I'm not going to plunk down for an answer one way or another. Well, this would be, uh, to me, it would seem to be the most difficult, one of the most difficult uh, areas to actually study because if we're talking about psychic abilities, for example, you know, you 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 can certainly under laboratory conditions and use, uh, employing the scientific method, you can uh, you can test an individual uh, for their psychic ability and and so forth. Uh, but when we're talking about uh, something as elusive as a as an out of body experience or a near death experience, how does one, other than anecdotally, go over cases and so forth? How do you study that? Yes. Um, I mean, again, not, you know, not to be too flippant, but you can't make an experimental science out of near-death experiences. Um, out-of-body experiences, yeah, it's, um, it is all based largely on testimony. Um, one or two uh, kind of very clever experiments trying to uh, detect the 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 out of body uh, the per, you know uh, at some distance have been tried but there uh, the 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 evidence isn't really very conclusive it's a matter of dealing with testimony after the fact um, you know I mean in fact that's part of I guess the challenge that psychical research has started right from the beginning is that so much of this is based on human testimony. And, you know, yeah, there's problems with human testimony and memory and everything, but you can't dismiss it all. And so things like out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, um, you know, still cry out for better explanations than we have and not dismissive explanations it's it's easy you know it's that's the easy way out is to say oh it's faulty memory or it's uh, you know something else but you know i think we'll be missing something absolutely uh sit tight uh, richard we will uh, resume on the other side dr richard broughton president of the society of psychical research joining us from the uk where it is very very early in the morning i'm back with more of the conspiracy show my name is richard Serrett. We are back with uh, Dr. Richard Broughton, president of the Society of Psychical Research, joining us live from the UK. Uh, I wanted to ask you about um, the amazing Randy, uh, noted skeptic, debunker, really, of uh, mm -hmm. all things paranormal, uh, mm -hmm. and his famous million-dollar challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, 
where he uh, insists that he will pay out a million dollars to anyone who can, I'm not exactly sure of the, the exact wording of, of his challenge, but anyone who can, you know, demonstrate, um, I guess scientifically or beyond a reasonable doubt, that, um, you know, that they, they can demonstrate some sort of paranormal, supernatural uh, ability. Mm. What do you make of, 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 that, of that challenge? I mean, it... it, it uh. Not much. I mean, I've, you know, encountered Randy from time to time over the years. Um, the challenge is, I mean, he's, he's basically, he's a showman. Um, he's, he's thrown this challenge out. Um, it turns out, if you look at it, it's, you know, ringed in various conditions and, uh, uh, you know, circumscribed by a whole bunch of different um, strings if you will really it's got a lot of strings attached and you know he's looking for uh, a kind of one-shot demonstration that will answer the question science doesn't really work that way Um, you know it 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 would be like asking you know a particle physicist uh, you know should we have Simon Cowell organize a um, celebrity panel to decide if there's a Higgs boson you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I mean, Randy, I have to give credit to one of my colleagues for that line, but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, Randy's, he's not a scientist, he's a showman, and his whole shtick is to prove that this stuff is nonsense. So, you know, what kind of fair challenge would that be? And I know, I mean, Randy told a friend of mine a long time ago, that uh, a fellow magician, you know, that you know, he's a magician. I always have a way out, you know. So it's uh, it's not like it's been a fair test. And and that said, in fact, I, again, know of colleagues in the field uh, who have proposed tests um, to him, and they, of course, then get referred to his committee. And uh, in all cases, they've never been followed up. Um, the ones that look like you know, they might be successful, or if, um, you know, the scientist wants to begin some kind of serious negotiations in terms of what evidence would you accept? Um, you know, this isn't a stage trick. It's not something we're going to do out in front of an audience, but, you know, can we meet on some sort of um, middle ground in, in scientific procedure? And um, they never get followed up. They're always dropped. So, um, Without putting you, know, you on the spot, I, I could, you, could you maybe explain what one of those experiments that were proposed to Randy were, what they entailed? Or I don't want to put you on the spot. but Yeah, I, I mean, I've not been directly involved. I know some years ago um, uh, a colleague, a Dutch colleague of mine, um, along with um, you know, a couple other scientists, um, tried to... Um, interest him in a statistical procedure again which would uh, you know uh, because all uh, most of our results as we were talking about even with you know back about the aspirin study i mean we don't we don't have stage demonstrations i mean that's randy's bit you know if he wants right. to get somebody who's going to try to be psychic on stage that's his business but what we look at is human you know psychological abilities and uh you know they're they're a lot more sensitive to the environment so uh he was proposing something that again would which would 
try to meet Randy's challenge on, you know, a halfway terms in, ter- in, in terms of the statistical stuff. And this one just never really got very far because uh, I don't think Randy knows much about statistics. It was referred to his committee. Um, I believe also um, another name that you probably know, Rupert Sheldrake. You know, that's funny. I was just going to ask you about about uh, the sense of being stared at and, and uh, where we are. In- and his, he's, uh, his biologist, he became quite interested in the phenomena of dogs anticipating when their owners come home. Yes, Yes, um, this is and uh, he's actually tried to organize, or or possibly people on his behalf have tried to organize uh, something with Randy. And again, it uh, it just seems to be a non-starter. That uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk at the beginning about uh, you know referring this to his committee and everything, and then you know the line goes dead, so to speak. So it's it's. Um, I regard the challenge as part of his rhetorical shtick. You know, this is how he makes his living. Um, you know, this is a guy that owes owes a lot to Yuri Geller because if it, if it wasn't for Yuri sure. Geller, sure, and the Tonight Show, yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, uh, you, you mentioned Sheldrake, and and uh, um, the, the dog experiment is fascinating too. But the um, I was. Uh, Going to pursue the, um, the the sense of being stared at uh, mm-hmm. and um, the empirical data um, there. I mean, the the idea that there may be um, some sort of a non magnetic spin field uh, located around the body that that might account for this. You know, the, the idea for those not familiar with Sheldrake's work, the, you know, that's, that sense that you have, that you are being stared at, and then when you turn around, uh, sure enough, you are being stared at. You know, what what is behind mm-hmm. that? Where are we in terms of the empirical data? I mean, uh, what sort of empirical data do we have? Well, again, a large body of uh, statistical evidence of experiments. I mean, what you describe is um, you know, what people feel, um, you wouldn't do an experiment quite that way, of course, because, you know, there'd be a lot of sensory leakage. And what what Sheldrake has gone on to do is create these automated um, kind of experiments where people uh, do the staring test uh, in a way of that they would not be, um, it would be no sensory context. Uh, or you know any uh, sensory leakage, and uh, yes, like a lot of other parapsychological phenomena, there is uh, a number of well-conducted experiments that demonstrate uh, beyond chance that these, these, there is some phenomenon there. Um, is it being stared at? Is it a kind of ESP phenomenon? Uh, we don't know, but I, I'd say the evidence that Sheldrake has produced is, um, you know, as good as any other in the field. Sure. Or is it simply the idea that the act of looking at someone or something can actually affect the system being observed, which has been demonstrated uh, in other experiments, you know, particles and waves and so forth. We'll uh, uh, continue to discuss all things uh, paranormal with Dr. Richard Broughton here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Uh, just uh, looking at a, at a website here, uh, unexplained-mysteries.com, uh, and an article 
written by Brendan D. Murphy, uh, The Hidden Energy Behind the Sense of Being Stared At. And this is something I wasn't aware of, but uh, Dr. Broughton, you probably uh, are, that the experiments into this particular um, field go back to the early 1900s. And um, uh, they talk about the force field around the body, uh, which was identified by, I believe it was uh, a Dr. Hippolyte, uh, it was dubbed the vital current, and um, others called it animal magnetism. But the idea was that the, the belief was the the flow of this current could be modified through focused intent. As a result of several years of research, uh, they believed that there was a transmission of power and force between people when one person looked at another, attributable to a ray emanating from the eye. Now. Is there any empirical data that that this, if there, you know, to to prove that this vital current exists and that th- th- can it be measured? Mm, in a word, no. Um, that uh, I mean the 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 notion of animal magnetism, certainly the idea of a, a current. I am, I mean, I'm aware of these speculations. I'm not aware of any really serious evidence, uh, experimental evidence for this. I mean, that was part of the um, the mesmeric tradition, of, you know, the animal magnetism. Um, that, again, that was one of the things that uh, was at the root of the Society for Psychical Research. One of their first briefs was mesmerism and uh, the associated phenomena of animal magnetism. And you know, there was no evidence for rays. And in fact, you know, we are pretty well skilled nowadays at, at measuring emanations and, you know, waves of the conventional sort. So, you know, it's it's easy to hypothesize it's something, oh, that we can't measure, and it's, uh, you know, some sort of mystical ray or something like that. Um, it, it doesn't, it really doesn't help. Uh, and there's, there's not a lot of... Um, evidence that I'm aware of uh, to support this. I mean, yes, there was a lot of early specula- speculation along these lines, but nothing that has held up. Um, things like um, the mesmeric, you know, hypnotism, as we call it now, is, is reasonably well understood, as, uh, you know, in terms of how that operates, and it, it didn't need um, any kind of special forces. Um, but as far as how being stared at works, um, you know, that's that's where we end up with, with a lot of our phenomena, whether you're talking about ESP. Um, we, we have the evidence. We are a long way from any kind of real explanation. And the explanations need to be, again, grounded in something that we can test. And... Uh, you know, at this point, mental rays uh, probably one of the first things that was looked for. And again, we don't have evidence for that. Uh, do you? Are you? I don't know if dismayed is the right word, but do you find that in an attempt to explain many of these types of phenomena, psychic phenomena, etc., uh, that people throw out you know quantum mechanics uh, willy nilly? Oh, it's quantum mechanics. 
mm. um, of oh, it's particle entanglement. That's that sort of thing. Uh, mm. Is that a disturbing trend? Uh, are they or are they are are people who who throw that out there on the right track? Um, it, well, it is a bit dismaying when it's done carelessly, uh, or, you know, too freely. Uh, you know, quantum mechanics, uh, you know, has its own mysteries. Consciousness uh, seems to have a, a, a role in there, but even within the experts in the field, that's, that's hotly debated in terms of how it, it actually functions. Um, it, it would, you know, at best level when handled by qualified physicists. And indeed, um, you know, there are eminent physicists interested in parapsychological phenomena, working on it, um, you know, to this day, not, not very heavily, but uh, it is an interest. And it is possible, uh, you know, my own hunch again is that the explanation for how consciousness might interact with information from the future may have a quantum basis to it but um, it doesn't help to just wave hands and say oh yes there's a consciousness field and uh, or that quantum mechanics will explain it um, you know it's just trying to explain one mystery with something else that we understand only slightly better but not fully um. Which leads me to the next area, which is um, uh, energy healing, sometimes referred to as faith healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, um, uh, people that uh, uh, practice this will talk often about things like subtle energies. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a subtle energy? Can it be measured? Ah, this is, I mean, actually some of my colleagues, uh, in fact, I think you would find this on the the website, Um, some of my uh, colleagues at the University of Northampton just did a very large study, uh, a meta-analysis of healing studies, exactly that kind, non-contact healing. And, um, well, the, the evidence suggests that it works, that, you know, in very carefully controlled studies, how it works, um, don't know. I mean, again, the practitioners will often speak of an energy because that's how it feels to them, that they're transmitting an energy. Um, the evidence for some kind of energy that we can measure is not good. There doesn't seem to be any anything measurable, of course, the proponents who want to see it as an evidence, as as an energy, will say, "Ah, but you just don't know how to measure it yet." Um, but I, it, I, you know, I wouldn't dismiss the evidence for non-contact healing, therapeutic touch, and all of these things. Um, the evidence is quite good. I was actually at this presentation in London um, not too long ago, actually, in um, one of the uh, buildings used by. Uh, Parliament down here to the Federation of Healers groups, and um, yes, this this stuff works, but we don't know how, and it's it doesn't help to just sort of say, oh, there's an energy field there. Um, there may be, but at the moment, um, we have no evidence for a field or an energy being transmitted as such. When you say this stuff works, what did you what did you witness? Uh, what scientific evidence did you uh, witness that would lead you to to make that pronouncement. 
Unfortunately, I mean, it's in, in so many cases, what I witnessed was a whole bunch of numbers on slides. Um, you know, I don't actually do this stuff, but it's um, improvements of various conditions uh, after the, uh, the ministrations, if you will, of therapeutic touch and non-contact healing. Um, a number of studies now have shown that the outcomes, people getting better quicker, uh, from various maladies um, that, you know, if you bring in a, a healer um, that this seems to improve it, improve their conditions. Now, of course, it's very difficult research to do because there are expectancies effects and uh, placebo effects and things like that. And they've tried to exclude all of these things and still find that, um, you know, overall, there is a um, not a very strong effect because you're aggregating a lot of very mixed studies, but there is evidence that again warrants further study. You know, we can't we can't just dismiss it. In um, other words, it's statistically significant. Oh yes, yeah, statistically significant. Um, the um, you know, but it's uh, you know it's a far cry from saying you know seeing somebody take up their palate and walk you know it's it's right, people right. getting better and uh, you know statistically people come up with you know their better outcomes and uh, uh, you know in, in healing studies than than people who are not treated or people who are treated by sham healers people who aren't really uh, healers just act like them you know so well, I, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, John of God, and, and uh, if you had any thoughts on. I mean, you you have no doubt, you know, watched the YouTube videos and, and so forth, and, and, and read the accounts of of what this um, purported healer down in Brazil is doing. What are your thoughts on on John of God? Anything there that sort uh, of I would have to confess? No, I haven't followed him. Brazil has thrown up a load of healers over over the years, and. Um, you know, I'd have to confess this isn't my specialty, healing and um, dealing with that kind of uh, phenomena. I mean, I've been fascinated really going back to people like Arrigo, the um, surgeon who used to do um, operations on the eyes and stuff with right, knives right. and things. Um, Brazil's been a hotbed of um, of healing, and it, it's it's very difficult to investigate these people um, because, you know, there's no way of getting away from the fact that in many cases there's been evidence of fraud, um, you know, out and out being caught um, fabricating, uh, well, I mean, pulling tumors out of people that turn out to be animal tissue and things like that. They claim that it's part of the healing process but i don't know i mean i again i would have to um, defer any comment on this particular chap because i haven't been following that that literature it's it's fascinating stuff but really tough really dangerous uh, in, in terms of trying to go out on a limb for any of that uh, have you uh, or has your uh, organization your members uh, have they have done any recent studies on the uh, EVP uh, the electronic voice phenomena in, in terms of mm. uh, spirit communication and so forth 
not recently. Again, some of our members, and again, this isn't, you know, these the members of the Society for Psychological Research are a very diverse group. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's just we happen to know of people who have done that. EVP, nothing's been done recently because um, the last published studies that I'm aware of um, pretty much came to the conclusion that there's really no evidence of um, anything paranormal happening in EVP because, uh, you know, and essentially listening to what sounds like white noise. And, of course, um, you know, the human brain, human mind is exceptionally well adapted to try to find patterns in things. And it was essentially people finding patterns in in noise. And um, I know there are still enthusiasts out there, um, but I just don't find that stuff very convincing. And like I said, the last stuff that the SPR published in its journal really didn't didn't find much evidence. Uh, how much of the library is is online? Um, there's a couple things. The almost a lot of the publications are online. In fact, the, the entire run of the journal of the Society for Psychical Research can be found. We actually have. Um, a partner organization called Lexian, L-E-X-S-C-I-E-N, uh, which you can, is linked from, from the SPR website. Okay, we're just uh, about out of time, Dr. Broughton. Uh, leave us with that website, if you will. Okay, spr.ac.uk, and also, as you would expect, on Facebook and Twitter. Excellent. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for being such a great sport and staying up so late. Oh, I've enjoyed it. It's really a pleasure talking to you, Richard. Thank you. We'll do it again, Dr. Richard Broughton. Uh, my thanks to Elbert and Tim and all of you listening at home. Back ne- next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for that. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.